CD5 She strode out into the passageway and opened the door. Yes, she demanded. The dwarfs backed away at the sight of her. There was a lot of whispering and elbowing and muttered comments in the nature of No, you, and I asked last time. Finally, a dwarf was pushed forward. It might have been the original dwarf. It was hard to tell with dwarfs. Er, uh, he said, um, uh, boots. What for, said Granny. The dwarf scratched his head. Damned if I know, he said. We were just wondering about it ourselves, matter of fact. We were just coming off shift in the coal mine half an hour ago. We saw the farmhouse land on, on, on the witch, and, uh, uh, well... You just knew you had to run up and steal her boots, said Granny. The dwarf's face widened into a relieved grin. That's right, he said, and sing the ding-dong song. Only she was supposed to be squashed. No offence meant, he added quickly. It's the Willow reinforcement, said a voice behind Granny. Worth its weight in glod. Granny stared for a while and then smiled. I think you lads ought to come inside, she said. I've got some questions to ask you. The dwarfs looked very uncertain. Um, said the spokesdwarf. Nervous of going into a house with witches in it, said Granny Weatherwax. The spokesdwarf nodded and then went red. Magrat and Nanny Og exchanged glances behind Granny's back. Something had definitely gone wrong somewhere. In the mountains, dwarfs certainly weren't afraid of witches. The problem was to stop them digging up your floor. You've been down from the mountains for some time, I expect, said Granny. Very promising seam of coal down here, mumbled the spokesdwarf, twiddling his hat. Bet it's a long time since you've had proper dwarf bread, then, said Granny. The spokesdwarf's eyes misted over. Baked from the finest stone-ground grit, just like Mother used to jump up and down on it, Granny went on. A sort of collective sigh went up from the dwarfs. You just can't get it down here, said the spokesdwarf to the ground. It's the water or something. It falls to bits after hardly any years at all. They put flour in it, said someone behind him sourly. It's worse than that. The baker over in Genua puts dried fruit in it, said another dwarf. Well now, said Granny, rubbing her hands together, I may be able to help you here. Could be I've got some dwarf bread to spare. Nah, not proper dwarf bread, said the spokesdwarf moodily. Proper dwarf bread's got to be dropped in rivers and dried out and sat on and left and looked at every day and put away again. You just can't get it down here. This could be, said Granny Weatherwax, your lucky day. To be frank said Nanny Og. I think the cat pissed on some of it. The spokesdwarf looked up, his eyes aglow. Hot damn! Dear Jason et everybody, What a life! All kinds of thing going on. What with talking wolves and women asleep in castles, I shall have a story or two to tell you when I gets back and no mistake. Also, don't talk to me about farmhouses. Which reminds me, please send someone to Mr. Vernissage over in Slice and present Mrs. Ogg's compliments and what a good hat he makes. He can say, as approved by Nanny Ogg. It stops 100% of all known farmhouses. Also, 
If you write to people saying how good their stuff is, sometimes you get free stuff. There could be a new hat in this for me, so see to it. Lilith stepped out from her room of mirrors. Shadowy images of herself trailed after her, fading. Witches ought to be squashed when a farmhouse lands on them. Lilith knew that. All squashed, except for their boots sticking out. Sometimes she despaired. People just didn't seem to be able to play their parts properly. She wondered whether there was such a thing as the opposite of a fairy godmother. Most things had their opposite, after all. If so, she wouldn't be a bad fairy godmother, because that's just a good fairy godmother seen from a different point of view. The opposite would be someone who was poisoned to stories, and, thought Lilith, quite the most evil creature in the world. Well, here in Genua was one story no one could stop. It had momentum, this one. Try to stop it, and it'd absorb you, make you part of its plot. She didn't have to do a thing. The story would do it for her, and she had the comfort of knowing that she couldn't lose. After all, she was the good one. She strolled along the battlements and down the stairs to her own room, where the two sisters were waiting. They were good at waiting. They could sit for hours without blinking. The Duke refused even to be in the same room as them. Their heads turned as she came in. She'd never given them voices. It wasn't necessary. It was enough that they were beautiful and could be made to understand. Now you must go to the house, she said, and this is very important. Listen to me. Some people will be coming to see Ella tomorrow. You must let them do so. Uh, do you understand? They were watching her lips. They watched anything that moved. We shall need them for the story. It won't work properly unless they try to stop it. And afterwards, perhaps I will give you voices. You'd like that, wouldn't you? They looked at one another, and then at her, and then at the cage in the corner of the room. Lilith smiled and reached in and took out two white mice. The youngest witch might be just your type, she said. I shall have to see what I can do with her. And now, open. The broomsticks drifted through the afternoon air. For once the witches weren't arguing. The dwarfs had been a taste of home. It would have done anyone's heart good to see the way they just sat and stared at the dwarf bread, as if consuming it with their eyes, which was the best way to consume dwarf bread. Whatever it was that had driven them to seek ruby-coloured boots seemed to wear off under its down-to-earth influence. As Granny said, you could look a long way before you found anything realer than dwarf bread. Then she'd gone off alone to talk to the head dwarf. She wouldn't tell the others what he'd told her, and they didn't feel bold enough to ask. Now she flew a little ahead of them. Occasionally she'd mutter something like, "'Good mothers!' or "'Practicing!' But even Magrat, who hadn't had as much experience, could feel Genua now, as a barometer feels the air pressure. In Genua, stories came to life. In Genua, someone set out to make dreams come true. Remember some of your dreams? Genua nestled on the delta of the Vyrks River, which was the source of its wealth. And Genua was wealthy. Genua had once controlled the river mouth and taxed its traffic in a way that couldn't be called piracy because it was done by the city government and therefore sound economics, and perfectly all right. And the swamps and lakes back in the delta provided the crawling, swimming, and flying ingredients of a cuisine that would have been world-famous if, as has already been indicated, people travelled very much. Genua was rich, 
lazy and unthreatened, and had once spent quite a lot of time involved in that special kind of civil politics that comes naturally to some city-states. For example, once it had been able to afford the largest branch of the Assassin's Guild outside Ankh-Morpork, and its members were so busy that you sometimes had to wait for months. Whereas in Ankh-Morpork, business was often so slow that some of the more go-ahead guild members put adverts in shop windows offering deals like Stab 2, Poison 1 free. But the Assassins had all left years ago. Some things sicken even jackals. The city came as a shock. From a distance, it looked like a complicated white crystal growing out of the greens and browns of the swamp. Closer to, it resolved into, firstly, an outer ring of smaller buildings, then an inner ring of large, impressive white houses, and finally, at the very centre, a palace. It was tall and pretty, and multi-turreted, like a toy castle, or some kind of confectionery extravaganza. Every slim tower looked designed to hold a captive princess. Magrat shivered, but then she thought of the wand. A godmother had responsibilities. "'Reminds me of another one of them Black Alice stories,' said Granny Weatherwax. "'I remember when she locked up that girl with the long pigtails in a tower just like one of them. Rumpelstiltzel or someone.' "'But she got out,' said Magrat. "'Yes, it does you good to let your hair down,' said Nanny. "'Eh, rural myths,' said Granny. They drew nearer to the city walls. Then Magrat said, "'There's guards on the gate. Are we going to fly over?' Granny stared at the highest tower through narrowed eyes. No, she said, we'll land and walk in, so as not to worry people. There's a nice flat green bit just behind those trees, said Magrat. Granny walked up and down experimentally. Her boots squeaked and gurgled in watery accusation. Look, I said I'm sorry, said Magrat. It just looks so flat. Water generally does, said Nanny, sitting on a tree stump and wringing out her dress. "'But even you couldn't tell it was water,' said Magrat. "'It looks so... so grassy with all that weed and stuff floating on it.' "'Seems to me the land and the water round here can't decide who is which,' said Nanny. "'She looked around at the miasmic landscape. "'Trees grew out of the swamp. "'They had a jagged foreign look and seemed to be rotting as they grew. "'Where the water was visible, it was black like ink. "'Occasionally a few bubbles would eructate to the surface "'like the ghosts of beans on bath night.' And somewhere over in the distance was the river, if it was possible to be that sure in this land of thick water and ground that wobbled when you set foot on it. She blinked. That's odd, she said. What, said Granny. Thought I saw something running, muttered Nanny, over there between the trees. Must be a duck then in this place. It was bigger than a duck, said Nanny. Funny thing is, it looked a bit like a little house. "'Oh, yes, running along with smoke coming out the chimney, I expect,' said Granny witheringly. Nanny brightened. "'You saw it too?' Granny rolled her eyes. "'Come on,' she said. "'Let's get to the road.' "'Um,' said Magrat. "'How?' They looked at the nominal ground between their reasonably dry refuge and the road. It had a yellowish appearance. There were floating branches and tufts of suspiciously green grass.' Nanny pulled a branch off the fallen tree she was sitting on and tossed it a few yards. It struck damply and sank with the noise of someone trying to get the last bit out of a milkshake. "'We fly over to it, of course,' Nanny said. "'You two can,' said Granny. "'There's nowhere for me to run and get mine started.' 
In the end, Magrat ferried her across on her broom, Nanny bringing up the rear with Granny's erratic stick in tow. I just hope no one saw us, that's all, said Granny, when they'd reached the comparative safety of the road. Other roads joined the swamp causeway as they got nearer to the city. They were crowded, and there was a long line at the gate. From ground level, the city was even more impressive. Against the steam of the swamps, it shone like a polished stone. Coloured flags flew over the walls. Looks very jolly, said Nanny. Very clean, said Magrat. It just looks like that from the outside, said Granny, who had seen a city before. When you get inside, it'll be all beggars and noise and gutters full of I don't know what. You mark my words. They're turning quite a lot of people away, said Nanny. They said on the boat that lots of people come here for fat lunchtime, said Granny. Probably you get lots of people who ain't the right sort. Half a dozen guards watched them approach. Very smartly turned out, said Granny. That's what I like to see. Not like at home. There are only six suits of chain mail in the whole of Lancre, made on the basis of one size doesn't quite fit all. Bits of string and wire had to be employed to take in the slack, since in Lancre the role of palace guard was generally taken by any citizen who hadn't got much to do at the moment. These guards were all six-footers, and even Granny had to admit quite impressive in their jolly red and blue uniforms. The only other real city guards she'd ever seen were those in Ankh-Morpork. The sight of Ankh-Morpork's city guard made thoughtful people wonder who could possibly attack that was worse. They certainly weren't anything to look at. To her amazement, two pikes barred her way as she stepped under the arched gateway. "'We're not attacking, you know,' she said. A corporal gave her a salute. Uh, "'No, ma'am,' he said, "'but we have orders to stop borderline cases.' "'Borderline?' said Nanny. "'What's borderline about us?' The corporal swallowed. Granny Weatherwax's gaze was a hard one to meet. "'Well,' he said, "'you're a habit, um, grubby.' There was a ringing silence. Granny took a deep breath. We had a bit of an accident in the swamp, said Magrat quickly. I'm sure it'll be all right, said the corporal wretchedly. The captain'll be here directly. Only there's all kinds of trouble if we let in the wrong sort. You'd be amazed at some of the people we get in here. Can't go letting the wrong sort in, said Nanny Og. We wouldn't want you to go letting the wrong sort in. I dare say we wouldn't want to come into the kind of city that had let the wrong sort in, would we, Esme? Magrat kicked her on the ankle. Good thing we're the right sort. What's happening, Corporal? The captain of the guards strolled out of a door in the archway and walked over to the witches. These uh, ladies want to come in, uh, sir, said the Corporal. Well? They're a bit, you know, uh, <clears throat> not 100% clean said the corporal, wilting under Granny's stare, and one of them's got uh, messy hair. Well, snapped Magrat, and one of them looks like she uses bad language. What? said Nanny, her grin evaporating. I'll tan your hide, you little bugger. But, corporal, uh, they have got brooms, said the captain. It's very hard for cleaning staff to look so tidy all the time. Cleaning staff? said Granny. "'I'm sure they're as anxious as you are to get tidied up,' said the captain. "'Excuse me,' said Granny, empowering the words with much the same undertones as are carried by words like charge and kill. "'Excuse me, but does this pointy hat I'm wearing mean anything to you?' The soldiers looked at it politely. 
Can you give me a clue? said the captain eventually. It means... We'll just trot along in if it's all the same to you, said Nanny Og. Got a lot of cleaning up to do. She flourished her broomstick. Come, ladies. She and Magrat grasped Granny's elbows firmly and propelled her under the archway before her fuse burned out. Granny Weatherwax always held that you ought to count up to ten before losing your temper. No one knew why, because the only effect of this was to build up the pressure and make the ensuing explosion a whole lot worse. The witches didn't stop until they were out of sight of the gate. Now, Esme, said Annie soothingly, you shouldn't take it personal, and we are a bit mocky, you must admit. They were just doing their job all right. How about that? They treated us as if we were ordinary people, said Granny in a shocked voice. This is foreign parts, Granny, said Magrat. Anyway, you said the men on the boat didn't recognise the hat either. But then I didn't want them to, said Granny. That's different. It's just an incident, Granny, said Magrat. They were just stupid soldiers. They don't even know a proper free-form hairstyle when they see it. Nanny looked around. Crowds milled past them almost in silence. And you must admit it's a nice, clean city, she said. They took stock of their surroundings. It was certainly the cleanest place they'd ever seen. Even the cobblestones had a polished look. You could eat your tea off the street, said Nanny as they strolled along. Yes, but you'd eat your tea off the street anyway, said Granny. I wouldn't eat all of it. Even the gutters are scrubbed. Not a Ronald in sight, Luke. Ronald the Third of Lancre, believed to be an extremely unpleasant monarch, was remembered by posterity only in this obscure bit of rhyming slang. Githa? Well, you said that in Ark Morpok. This is somewhere else. It's so spotless, said Magrat. Makes you wish you'd cleaned your sandals. Yeah, Nanny Ogg squinted along the street. Makes you wish you were a better person, really. Why are you two whispering? She followed their gaze. There was a guard standing on the street corner. When he saw them looking at him, he touched his helmet and gave them a brief smile. Even the guards are polite said Magrat. And there's so many of them, too, said Granny. Amazing, really, needing all these guards in a city where people are so clean and quiet, said Magrat. Perhaps there's so much niceness to be spread around, they need a lot of people to do it, said Nanny Og. The witches wandered through the packed streets. Nice houses, though, said Magrat. Very decorative and oldy-worldy. Granny Weatherwax, who lived in a cottage that was as oldy-worldy as it was possible to be without being a lump of metamorphic rock, made no comment. Nanny Og's feet started to complain. "'We ought to find somewhere to stop the night,' she said. "'We can look for this girl in the morning. We'll do a lot better for a good night's sleep.' "'And a bath,' said Magrat, with soothing herbs. "'Good idea. I could just go a bath, too,' said Nanny. "'My word, doesn't autumn roll around quickly?' said Granny sourly. Yeah? When did you last have a bath, Esme? What do you mean, last? See? Then there's no call to make comments about my ablutions. Baths is unhygienic, Granny declared. You know I've never agreed with baths, sitting around in your own dirt like that. What do you do, then? said Magrat. I just washes, said Granny, all the bits, you know, as and when they becomes available. However available they were, and no further information was vouchsafed on this point, they were certainly more available than accommodation in Genua in fat lunchtime. All the taverns and inns were more than full. 
Gradually, the press of crowds pushed them out of the main streets and into the less fashionable quarters of the city, but still there was no room for the three of them. Granny Weatherwax had had enough. "'The very next place we see,' she said, setting her jaw firmly, "'we're going in. "'What's that inn over there?' Nanny Og peered at the sign. "'Hotel, no vacancies,' she muttered, and then brightened up. "'Hotel, no vacancies,' she repeated. "'That means new, er, uh, cancies in foreign,' she added helpfully. "'It'll do,' said Granny. She pushed the door open. A round, red-faced man looked up from the desk. He was new to the job and very nervous. The last incumbent had disappeared for not being round and red-faced enough. Granny didn't waste time. "'You see this hat?' she demanded. "'You see this broom?' The man looked from her to the broom and back again. "'Yes,' he said. "'What's that mean?' "'It means we want three rooms for the night,' said Granny, looking smugly at the other two. "'With sausage,' said Nanny. Uh, "'And one vegetarian meal,' said Magrat. The man looked at all three of them. Then he went over to the door. Uh, "'You see this door? You see this sign?' he said. "'We don't bother about signs,' said Granny. "'Well then,' said the man, "'I give up. "'What's the pointy hat and a broom really mean?' "'It means I'm a witch,' said Granny. The man put his head on one side. "'Yeah,' he said. "Is, "'Is that another word for daft old woman?' Dear Jason and everyone, wrote Nanny Og, Do you know, they don't know about witches here. That's how backward they are in foreign parts. A man gave Esme some cheek, and she would have lost her temper, so me and Magrat and I got hold of her and rushed her out, because if you make someone think they've been turned into something, there's always trouble. You remember what happened last time, when afterwards you had to go and dig a pond for Mr Wilkins to live in? They had managed to find a table to themselves in a tavern. It was packed with people of all species. The noise was at shouting level and smoke wreathed the air. "'Will you stop that scribbling, Gither Og? It gets on my nerves,' snapped Granny. "'They must have witches here,' said Magrat. "'Everywhere has witches. You've got to have witches abroad. You find witches everywhere.' "'Like cockroaches,' said Nanny Og cheerfully. "'You should have let me make him believe he was a frog,' muttered Granny. You can't do that, Esme. You can't go around making people believe their things just because they've been cheeky and don't know who you are, said Githa. Otherwise we'd be up to rearing people up and about. Despite many threats, Granny Weatherwax had never turned anyone into a frog. The way she saw it, there was a technically less cruel but cheaper and much more satisfying thing you could do. You could leave them human and make them think they were a frog, which also provided much innocent entertainment for passers-by. "'I always felt sorry for Mr Wilkins,' said Magrat, staring moodily at the tabletop. "'It was so sad watching him try to catch flies on his tongue.' "'He shouldn't have said what he said,' said Granny. "'What, you were a domineering old busybody?' said Nanny innocently. "'I don't mind criticism,' said Granny. "'You know me. I've never been one to take offence at criticism. "'No one could say I'm the sort to take offence at criticism.' "'Not twice, anyway.' said Nanny, not without blowing bubbles. "'It's just that I can't stand unfairness,' said Granny, "'and you stop that grinning, anyway. "'I don't see why you're making a fuss about it. "'It wore off after a couple of days.' "'Mrs Wilkins says he still goes out swimming a lot,' said Magrat. "'It's given him a whole new interest,' she said. 
"'Perhaps they have a different kind of witch in the city,' said Magrat hopelessly. "'Perhaps they wear different sort of clothes.' "'There's only one kind of witch,' said Granny, "'and we're it.' "'She looked around the room. "'Of course,' she thought, "'if someone was keeping witches out, "'people wouldn't know about them, "'someone who didn't want anyone else meddling here. "'But she let us in. "'Oh, well, at least we're in the dry,' said Nanny. "'A drinker standing in a crowd behind her "'threw back his head to laugh and spilled beer down her back. "'She muttered something under her breath.' Magrat saw the man look down to take another swig and stare wide-eyed into the mug. And then he dropped it and fought his way out of the room, clutching at his throat. "'What did you do to his drink?' she said. "'You ain't old enough to be told,' said Nanny. At home, if a witch wanted a table to herself, it, it just happened. The sight of the pointy hat was enough. People kept a polite distance, occasionally sending free drinks to her. Even Magrat got respect— not particularly because anyone was in awe of her, but because a slight to one witch was a slight to all witches, and no one wanted Granny Weatherwax coming around to explain this to them. Here they were being jostled, as if they were ordinary. Only Nanny Ogg's warning hand on Granny Weatherwax's arm was keeping a dozen jovial drinkers from unnatural amphibianhood, and even Nanny's usually very elastic temper was beginning to twang. She always prided herself on being as ordinary as Muck, but there was ordinary, and there was ordinary. It was like being that prince, what's his name, in the nursery story, who liked to wander around his kingdom dressed up as a commoner. She'd always had a shrewd suspicion that the little pervert made sure people knew who he was beforehand, just in case anyone tried to get too common. It was like getting muddy. Getting muddy when you had a nice hot tub to look forward to was fun. Getting muddy when all you had to look forward to was more mud was no fun at all. She reached a conclusion. Hey, why don't we have a drink, said Nanny Og brightly. We'd all feel better for a drink. Oh, no, said Granny. You caught me with that herbal drink last time. I'm sure there was alcohol in that. I definitely felt a bit woozy after the sixth glass. I ain't drinking any more foreign muck. You've got to drink something, said Magrat soothingly. I'm thirsty anyway. She looked vaguely at the crowded bar. Perhaps they do some kind of... "'Fruit cup or something?' "'Bound to,' said Nanny Og. "'She stood up, glanced at the bar, "'and surreptitiously removed a hat-pin from her hat. "'Shan't be a moment.' "'The two of them were left in their own private gloom. "'Granny sat staring fixedly in front of her. "'You really shouldn't take it so bad "'just because people aren't showing you any respect,' "'said Magrat, pouring soothing oil on the internal fires. "'They've hardly ever shown me any respect at all. "'It's not a problem.' "'If you ain't got respect, you ain't got a thing,' said Granny distantly. "'Oh, I don't know. I've always managed to get along,' said Magrat. "'That's cause you're a wet hen, Magrat Garlic,' said Granny. There was a short, hot silence, ringing with the words that shouldn't have escaped, and a few grunts of pained surprise from the direction of the bar. "'I know she's always thought that,' Magrat told herself within the glowing walls of her embarrassment. "'I just never thought she'd ever say it.' "'and she'll never say sorry because that's not the kind of thing she does. "'She just expects people to forget things like that. "'I was just trying to be friends again, "'if she ever really has any friends.' "'Here we are, then,' said Nanny Og, "'emerging from the crush with a tray. "'Fruit drinks.' "'She sat down and looked from one to the other. 
made from bananas, she said, in the hope of striking a spark of interest from either woman. I remember how Shane brought a banana home once. My, we had a good laugh about that. I said to the man, what kind of fruit drinks do people drink around here? And this is what he gave me, made from bananas. A banana drink. You like it. It's what everyone drinks here. It's got bananas in it. It's certainly very strongly flavoured, said Magrat, sipping hers cautiously. Has it got sugar in it, too? Very likely, said Nanny. She looked at Granny's middle-distance frown for a moment, and then picked up her pencil and licked the end professionally. Anyway, one good thing is the drink here is V-cheap. There's this one called a banana-nana daiquiri, which is basically rum with a banana-nana-nana in it. Nanny Og knew how to start spelling banana, but didn't know how you stopped. I can feel it doing me good. It is V-damp here. I hope we find somewhere to stay tonight. I expect we shall, because Esme always falls on her feet, or at any rate, on someone's feet. I have drawn a picture of a banana-nana-nana daiquiri. You can see it is empty right down to the bottom. Love, Mum, XXXX. In the end, they found a stable. It was, as Nanny Og cheerfully commented, probably warmer and more hygienic than any of the inns, and there were millions of people in foreign parts who'd give their right arms for such a comfy, dry place to sleep. This cut about as much ice as a soap hacksaw. It doesn't take much to make witches fall out. Magrat lay awake, using her sack of clothes as a pillow, and listening to the warm, soft rain on the roof. It's all gone wrong before we've even started, she thought. I don't know why I let them come with me. I'm perfectly capable of doing something by myself for once, but they always treat me as if I was as if I was a, a wet hen. I don't see why I should have to put up with her sulking and snapping at me the whole time. What's so special about her, anyway? She hardly ever does anything really magical, whatever Nanny says. She really does just shout a lot and bully people, and as for Nanny, she means well, but she has no sense of responsibility. I thought I'd die when she started singing the hedgehog song in the inn. I just hoped to goodness the people didn't know what the words meant. I'm the fairy godmother around here. We're not at home now. There's got to be different ways of doing things in foreign parts. She got up at first light. The other two were asleep, although asleep was too moderate a word for the sounds Granny Weatherwax was making. Magrat put on her best dress, the green silk one that was unfortunately now a mass of creases. She took out a bundle of tissue paper and slowly unwrapped her occult jewellery. Magrat bought occult jewellery as a sort of distraction from being Magrat. She had three large boxes of the stuff and was still exactly the same person. She did her best to remove the straw from her hair, then she unpacked the magic wand. She wished she had a mirror to inspect herself in. I've got the wand, she said quietly. I don't see why I need any help. Desiderata said I was to tell them not to help. It crossed her mind to reflect that Desiderata had been very lax on that point. The one thing you could be sure of, if you told Granny Weatherwax and Nanny Og not to help, was that they would rush to help if only out of spite. It was quite surprising to Magrat that anyone as clever as Desiderata should have slipped up on that minor point. She'd probably got a psychololology too, whatever that was. Moving quietly so as not to wake the other two, she opened the door and stepped lightly into the damp air. Wand at the ready, she was prepared to give the world whatever it wished for. 
It would help if this included pumpkins. Nanny Og opened one eye as the door creaked shut. She sat up and yawned and scratched herself. She fumbled in her hat and retrieved her pipe. She nudged Granny Weatherwax in the ribs. I ain't asleep, said Granny. My rat's gone off somewhere. Hmm. And I'm going out to get something to eat, muttered Nanny. There was no talking to Esme when she was in that kind of mood. As she stepped out, Grebo dropped lightly off a beam and landed on her shoulder. Nanny Og, one of life's great optimists, stepped out to take whatever the future had to offer. Preferably with rum and bananas in it. The house wasn't hard to find. Desiderata had made very exact notes. Magrat's gaze took in the high white walls and ornate metal balconies. She tried to straighten a few wrinkles in her dress, tugged some recalcitrant bits of hay from her hair, and then marched up the driveway and knocked on the door. The knocker broke off in her hand. Looking around anxiously, lest someone should have noted this vandalism, Magrat tried to wedge it back. It fell off, knocking a lump out of the marble step. Finally, she knocked gently with her knuckle. A fine cloud of paint dust lifted off the door and floated down to the ground. That was the only effect. Magrat considered her next move. She was pretty sure that fairy godmothers weren't supposed to leave a little card pushed under the door saying something like, Called today, but you were out. Please contact the depot for a further appointment. Anyway, this wasn't the kind of house that got left empty. There would be a score of servants infesting a place like this. She crunched over the gravel and peered around the side of the house. Maybe the back door. Witches were generally more at home around back doors. Nanny Og always was. She was heading for the one belonging to the palace. It was easy enough to get into. This wasn't a castle like the ones back home, which expressed very clear ideas about inside and outside and were built to keep the two separate. This was, well, a fairy tale castle. All icing sugar battlements and tiny towering turrets. Anyway, no one took much notice of little old ladies. Little old ladies were by definition harmless although in a string of villages across several thousand miles of continent, this definitely was currently being updated. Castles, in Nanny Og's experience, were like swans. They looked as if they were drifting regally through the waters of time, but in fact there was a hell of a lot of activity going on underneath. There'd be a maze of pantries and kitchens and laundries and stables and breweries. She liked the idea of breweries, and people never noticed another old biddy around the place, eating any spare grub that was lying around. Besides, you got gossip. Nanny Og liked gossip, too. Granny Weatherwax wandered disconsolately along the clean streets. She wasn't looking for the other two. She was quite certain of that. Of course, she might just happen to bump into them, sort of accidentally, and give them a meaningful look, but she certainly wasn't looking for them. There was a crowd at the end of the street. Working on the reasonable assumption that Nanny Og might be in the middle of it, Granny Weatherwax drifted over. Nanny wasn't there but there was a raised platform and a small man in chains and some bright uniformed guards. One of them was holding an axe. You did not have to be a great world traveller to understand that the purpose of this tableau was not to give the chained man a signed testimonial and a collection from everyone at the office. Granny nudged a bystander. What's happening? The man looked sideways at her. The guards have called him thieving, he said. Eh, well, he looks guilty enough, said Granny. People in chains had a tendency to look guilty. So what are they going to do to him? Teach him a lesson. How do they do that, then? See the axe. Granny's eyes hadn't left it the whole time, but now she let her attention rove over the crowd, picking up scraps of thought. An ant has an easy mind to read. There's just one stream of big, simple thoughts. Carry, carry, bite. 
Get into the sandwiches, carry, eat. Something like a dog is more complicated. A dog can be thinking several thoughts at the same time, but a human mind is a great, sullen, lightning-filled cloud of thoughts, all of them occupying a finite amount of brain-processing time. Finding whatever the owner thinks they're thinking in the middle of the smog of prejudices, memories, worries, hopes and fears is almost impossible. But enough people thinking much the same thing can be heard, and Granny Weatherwax was aware of the fear. "'Looks like it'll be a lesson he won't forget in a hurry,' she murmured. "'I reckon he'll forget it quite quickly,' said the watcher, and then shuffled away from Granny in the same way that people move away from lightning rods during a thunderstorm. At this point, Granny picked up the discordant note in the orchestra of thought. In the middle of it were two minds that were not human. Their shape was as simple, clean and purposeful as a naked blade. She'd felt minds like that before and had never cherished the experience. She scanned the crowd and found the mind's owners. They were staring unblinkingly at the figures on the platform. The watchers were women, or at least currently the same shape as women, taller than she was, slender as sticks, and wearing broader hats with veils that covered their faces. Their dresses shimmered in the sunlight, possibly blue, possibly yellow, possibly green, possibly patterned. It was impossible to tell. The merest movement changed the colours. She couldn't make out their faces. There were witches in Genua, all right. One witch, anyway. A sound from the platform made her turn, and she knew why people in Genua were quiet and nice. There were countries in foreign parts, Granny had heard, where they chopped off the hands of thieves so they wouldn't steal again, and she'd never been happy with that idea. They didn't do that in Genua. They cut their heads off so they wouldn't think of stealing again. Granny knew exactly where the witches were in Genua now. They were in charge. Magrat reached the house's back door. It was ajar. She pulled herself together again. She knocked in a polite, diffident sort of way. Uh, she said. A bowl full of dirty water hit her full in the face. Through the tidal roaring of a pair of ears full of suds, she heard a voice say, Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I didn't know anyone was standing there. Magrat wiped the water out of her eyes and tried to focus on a dim figure in front of her. A kind of narrative certainty rose in her mind. Is your name Ella? she said. That's right. Who are you? Magrat looked at her newfound goddaughter up and down. She was the most attractive young woman Magrat had ever seen, skin as brown as a nut, hair so blonde as to be almost white, a combination not totally unusual in such an easy-going city as Genua had once been. What were you supposed to say at a time like this? She removed a piece of potato peel from her nose. I'm your fairy godmother, she said. Funny thing, it sounds silly now I come to tell someone. Ella peered at her. You? Um, yes, I've got the wand and everything. Magrat waggled the wand in case this helped. It didn't. Ella put her head on one side. I thought you people were supposed to appear in a shower of glittering little lights and a twinkly noise, she said suspiciously. Look, you just get the wand, said Magrat desperately. You don't get a whole book of instructions. Ella gave her another searching look. Then she said, Suppose you'd better come in, then. You're just in time. I was making a cup of tea, anyway. The iridescent women got into an open-topped carriage. Beautiful as they were, Granny noted, they walked awkwardly. Well, they would. They wouldn't be used to legs. She also noticed the way people didn't look at the carriage. It wasn't that they didn't see it. It was simply that they wouldn't let their gaze dwell on it, as if merely recognising it would lead them into trouble. And she noticed the coach horses. 
They had better senses than the humans did. They knew what was behind them, and they didn't like it at all. She followed them as they trotted flat-eared and wild-eyed through the streets. Eventually they were driven into a driveway of a big, dilapidated house near the palace. Granny lurked by the wall and noted the details. Plaster was dropping off the house walls, and even the knocker had fallen off the door. Granny Weatherwax did not believe in atmospheres. She did not believe in psychic auras. Being a witch, she'd always thought, depended more on what you didn't believe. But she was prepared to believe that there was something very unpleasant in that house. Not evil. The two not-exactly women weren't evil, in the same way that a dagger or a sheer cliff isn't evil. Being evil means being able to make choices. But the hand wielding a dagger or pushing a body over a cliff could be evil. And something like that was going on. She really wished that she didn't know who was behind it. People like Nanny Og turn up everywhere. It's as if there's some special morphic generator dedicated to the production of old women who like a laugh and aren't averse to the odd pint, especially if some drink normally sold in very small glasses. You find them all over the place, often in pairs. Always in front of you in any queue, for a start. They tend to attract one another. Possibly they broadcast inaudible signals indicating that here is someone who could be persuaded to go, ooh, at pictures of other people's grandchildren. Nanny Og had found a friend. Her name was Mrs Pleasant. She was a cook, and she was the first black person Nanny had ever spoken to. Racism was not a problem on the Discworld, because, what with trolls and dwarfs and so on, speciesism was much more interesting. Black and white lived in perfect harmony and ganged up on green. She was also a cook, and of that very superior type who spends most of the time holding court in a chair in the centre of the kitchen, apparently taking very little heed of the activity going on around her. Occasionally she'd give an order, and they'd only need to be occasionally, because she'd seen to it over the years that people either did things her way or not at all. Once or twice, with some ceremony, she'd get up, taste something, and maybe add a pinch of salt. Such people are always ready to chat to any wandering peddlers, herbalists, or little old women with cats on their shoulders. Grebo rode on Nanny's shoulder as though he'd just eaten the parrot. "'You be a-coming here for fat lunchtime, then?' said Mrs Pleasant. "'Helping a friend with a bit of business,' said Nanny. "'My, these biscuits are tasty.' "'I means I see by your eye,' said Mrs Pleasant, pushing the plate nearer to her, "'that you are of a magical persuasion.' "'Then you sees a lot further than most people in these parts,' said Nanny. "'You know what would improve these biscuits? "'No end would be something to dip em in. "'What do you think?' "'How about something with bananas in it?' "'Bananas would be just the thing,' said Nanny happily. Mrs Pleasant waved imperiously at one of the maids who set to work. Nanny sat on her chair, swinging her stumpy legs and looking around the kitchen with interest. A score of cooks were working with the single-mindedness of an artillery platoon laying down a barrage. Huge cakes were being constructed. In the fireplaces, whole carcasses of animals were being roasted. Turnspit dogs galloped in their treadmills. A huge man with a bald head and a scar right across his face was patiently inserting little sticks into sausages. Nanny hadn't had any breakfast. Grebo had had some breakfast, but this didn't make any difference. They were both undergoing a sort of exquisite culinary torture. They both turned as if hypnotised to watch two maids stagger under a tray of canapes. "'I can see you is a very observant woman, Mrs Ogg,' said Mrs Pleasant. "'Just a slice,' said Nanny, without thinking.' 
"'I also determines,' Mrs. Pleasant said after a while, "'that you have a cat of no usual breed upon your shoulder there.' "'You're right there. I knows I'm right.' A brimming glass of yellow foam was slid in front of Nanny. She looked at it reflectively and tried to get back to the matter in hand. "'So,' she said, "'where would I go, do you think, to find out about how you do magic in—' "'Would you like something to eat?' said Mrs. Pleasant. "'What?' "'Oh, my word!' Mrs. Pleasant rolled her eyes. "'Not this stuff.' "'I wouldn't eat this stuff,' she said bitterly. Nanny's face fell. "'But you cook it,' she pointed out. "'Only because I'm told to. "'The old baron knew what good food was. "'This stuff eats nothing but pork and beef and lamb and rubbish "'for them that never tasted anything better. "'The only things on four legs that's worth eating is alligator. "'I mean, real food.' Mrs. Pleasant looked around the kitchen. "'Sarah!' she shouted. One of the sub-cooks turned round. "'Yes, am "'Me and this lady is just going out. "'Just you see to everything, okay?' "'Yes, am Mrs. Pleasant stood up and nodded meaningfully at Nanny Og. "'Walls have ears,' she said. "'Cough! Do they? "'We going to go for a little stroll?' There were, it now seemed to Nanny Og, two cities in Genua— there was the white one, all new houses and blue-roofed palaces, and around it, and even under it, was the old one. The new one might not like the presence of the old one, but it couldn't quite ever do without it. Someone, somewhere, has to do the cooking. Nannyog quite liked cooking, provided there were other people around to do things like chop up the vegetables and wash the dishes afterwards. She'd always reckoned that she could do things to a bit of beef that the bullock had never thought of, but now she realised that wasn't cooking not compared to cooking in Genua. It was just staying alive as pleasantly as possible. Cooking anywhere outside Genua was just heating things up like bits of animals and birds and fish and vegetables until they went brown. And yet the weird thing was that the cooks in Genua had nothing edible to cook. At least not what Nanny would have thought of as food. To her mind, food went around on four legs, or possibly one pair of legs and one pair of wings. Or at least it had fins on the idea of food with more than four legs was an entirely new kettle of uh, miscellaneous swimming things. They didn't have much to cook in Genua, so they cooked everything. Nanny had never heard of prawns or crawfish or lobsters. It just looked to her as though the citizens of Genua dredged the river bottom and boiled whatever came up. The point was that a good, genuine cook could more or less take the squeezing of a handful of mud, a few dead leaves, and a pinch or two of some unpronounceable herbs, and produce a meal to make a gourmet burst into tears of gratitude and swear to be a better person for the rest of their entire life if they could just have one more plateful. Nanny Og ambled along as Mrs. Pleasant led her through the market. She peered at cages of snakes and racks of mysteriously tendrilled herbs. She prodded trays of bivalves. She stopped for a chat to nanny og-shaped ladies who ran the little stalls that, for a couple of pennies, dispensed strange chowders and shellfish in a bun. She sampled everything. She was enjoying herself immensely. Genua, city of cooks, had found the appetite it deserved. She finished a plate of fish and exchanged a nod and a grin with the little old woman who ran the fish stall. Well, all this is, she began, turning to Mrs. Pleasant. Uh, Mrs. Pleasant had gone. Some people would have bustled off to look for her in the crowds, but Nanny Og just stood and thought. I asked her about magic, she thought, and she brought me here and left me. Because of them walls with ears in, I expect. So maybe I've got to do the rest myself. She looked around her. 
There was a very rough tent a little way from the stalls, right by the river. There was no sign outside it, but there was a pot bubbling gently over a fire. Rough clay bowls were stacked beside the pot. Occasionally someone would step out of the crowd, help themselves to a bowl of whatever it was in the pot, and then throw a handful of coins into the plate in front of the tent. Nanny wandered over and looked into the pot. Things came to the surface and sank again. The general colour was brown. Bubbles formed, grew and burst stickily with an organic blop. Anything could be happening in that pot. Life could be spontaneously creating. Nanny Og would try anything once. Some things she'd try several thousand times. She unhooked the ladle, picked up a bowl and helped herself. A moment later she pushed aside the tent flap and looked into the blackness of the interior. A figure was seated cross-legged in the gloom, smoking a pipe. "'Mind if I step inside?' said Nanny. The figure nodded. Nanny sat down. After a decent interval she pulled out her own pipe. "'Mrs. Pleasant's a friend of yours, I expect.' "'She knows me.' "'Ah!' From outside there was the occasional clink as customers helped themselves. Blue smoke coiled from Nanny Ogg's pipe. "'I don't reckon,' she said, "'that many people goes away without paying.' "'No.' After another pause, Nanny Ogg said, "'I expect some of them tries to pay with gold and jewels "'and scented ungulants and stuff like that.' "'No.' "'Amazing.' Nanny Ogg sat in silence for a while, "'listening to the distant noises of the market "'and summoning her powers. "'What's it called?' "'Gambo. "'It's good. "'I know.' "'I reckon anyone who could cook like that could do anything.' Nanny Og concentrated. "'Mrs. Goggle,' she waited. "'Pretty near, Mrs. Og.' The two women stared at one another's shadowy outline, like plotters who had given the sign and countersign and were waiting to see what would happen next. "'Where I come from, we call it witchcraft,' said Nanny, under her breath. "'Where I come from,' We call it voodoo, said Mrs. Goggle. Nanny's wrinkled forehead wrinkled still further. Ain't that all messing with dolls and dead people and stuff, she said. Ain't witchcraft all running around with no clothes on and sticking pins in people, said Mrs. Goggle, levelly. Ah, said Nanny, I see what you mean. She shifted uneasily. She was a fundamentally honest woman. I got to admit, though, she added, sometimes, maybe... Just one pin. Mrs. Goggle nodded gravely. Okay, sometimes maybe just one zombie, she said. But only when there ain't no alternative. Sure, when there ain't no alternative. When, you know, people ain't showing respect like. When the house needs painting. Nanny grinned toothily. Mrs. Goggle grinned, outnumbering her in teeth by a factor of thirty. "'My full name's Githa Ogg,' she said. "'People calls me Nanny.' "'My full name's Erzuli Goggle,' said Mrs. Goggle. "'People call me Mrs. Goggle.' "'The way I saw it,' said Nanny, "'this is foreign parts, so maybe there's a different kind of magic. "'Stands to reason. "'The trees is different, the people is different, the drinks is different, "'and has got banana in them. "'So the magic would be different too. "'Then I thought... Githa, my girl, you're never too old to learn. Sure thing. There's something wrong with this city. Felt it as soon as we set foot here. Mrs. Goggle nodded. There was no sound for a while but the occasional puffing of a pipe. Then there was a clink from outside, followed by a thoughtful pause. 
A voice said, Giffa, Og, I know you're in there. The outline of Mrs. Goggle took its pipe out of its mouth. That's good, she said. Good sense of taste there. The tent flap opened. Hello, Esme, said Nanny Og. Blessings be on this, uh, tent, said Granny Weatherwax, peering into the gloom. This is Mrs. Goggle, said Nanny. She's by way of being a voodoo lady. That's what witches are in these parts. They ain't the only witches in these parts, said Granny. Mrs. Goggle was very impressed at you detecting me in here, said Nanny. It wasn't hard, said Granny. Once I'd spotted that Grebo washing himself outside, the rest was all deduction. In the gloom of the tent, Nanny had formed a mental picture of Mrs. Goggle as being old. What she hadn't expected when the voodoo lady stepped out into the open air was a handsome, middle-aged woman taller than Granny. Mrs. Goggle wore heavy gold earrings, a white blouse, and a full red skirt with flounces. Nanny could feel Granny Weatherwax's disapproval. What they said about women with red skirts was even worse than whatever they said about women with red shoes, whatever that was. Mrs. Goggle stopped and raised an arm. There was a flurry of wings. Grebo, who had been rubbing obsequiously against Nanny's leg, looked up and hissed. The largest and blackest cockerel Nanny had ever seen had settled on Mrs. Goggle's shoulder. It turned on her the most intelligent stare she had ever seen on a bird. "'My word,' she said, taken aback. "'That's the biggest cock I've ever seen, and I've seen a few in my time.' Mrs. Goggle raised one disapproving eyebrow. "'She never had no proper upbringing,' said Granny. "'What with living next to a chicken farm and all is what I was going to say next,' said Nanny. "'This is Legbar, a dark and dangerous spirit,' said Mrs. Goggle. She leaned closer and spoke out of the corner of her mouth. Between you and me, he's just a big black cockerel, but <laughs> you know how it is. It pays to advertise, Nanny agreed. This is Grebor. Between you and me, he's a fiend from hell. Well, he's a cat, said Mrs. Goggle generously. It's only to be expected. Dear Jason and everyone, isn't it amazing the things what happen when you don't expect it? For example, we met Mrs. Goggle, who works as a cook by day, but is a voodoo witch. You mustn't believe all the stuff about black magic, etc. This is a blind. She's just like us, only different. It's true about the zombies, though, but it's not what you think. Genua was a strange city, Nanny decided. You got off the main streets, walked along a side road, went through a little gate, and suddenly there were trees everywhere with moss and them llamas hanging from them, and the ground began to wobble underfoot and become swamp. On either side of the track there were dark pools in which, here and there among the lilies, were the kind of logs the witches had never seen before. "'Them's bloody big newts,' she said. "'They're alligators. "'By gods, they must get good grub.' "'Yeah.' Mrs. Goggle's house itself looked a simple affair of driftwood from the river, roofed with moss and built out over the swamp itself on four stout poles. It was close enough to the centre of the city that Nanny could hear street cries and the clip-clop of hooves, but the shack in its little swamp was wreathed in silence. "'Don't people bother you here?' said Nanny. "'Not them as I don't want to meet.' The lily-pads moved. A V-shaped ripple drifted across the nearest pool. "'Self-reliance,' said Granny approvingly. "'That's always very important.' Nanny regarded the reptiles with a calculating stare. They tried to match it and gave up when their eyes started watering. "'I reckon I could just do with a couple of them at home,' she said thoughtfully, as they slid away again. "'Our Jason could dig another pond, no problem. What was it you said they ate?' 
anything they want to. I know a joke about alligators, said Granny in the tones of one announcing a great and solemn truth. You never, said Nanny Og. I never heard you tell a joke in your whole life. Just because I don't tell them don't mean I don't know them, said Granny haughtily. It's about this man. What man? said Nanny. This man went into an inn. Yes, it was an inn, and he saw a sign, and the sign said, We serve every kind of sandwich. So he said, Get me an alligator sandwich and make it quick. They looked at her. Nanny Og turned to Mrs Goggle. So, you live alone here, then, she said brightly. Not a living soul around. In a manner of speaking, said Mrs Goggle. You see, the point is, alligators... Uh, Granny began in a loud voice and then stopped. The shack's door had opened. This was another big kitchen. As Desiderata said, fairy godmothers tend to get heavily involved with kitchens. Once upon a time it had provided employment for half a dozen cooks. Now it was a cave. Its far corners shadowy, its hanging saucepans and terrines dulled by dust. The big tables had been pushed to one side and stacked almost ceiling high with ancient crockery. The stoves, which looked big enough to take whole cows and cook for an army, stood cold. In the middle of the grey desolation, someone had set up a small table by the fireplace. It was on a square of bright carpet. A jam jar contained flowers that had been arranged by the simple method of grabbing a handful of them and ramming them in. The effect was a little area of slightly soppy brightness in the general gloom. Ella shuffled a few things around desperately and then stood looking at Magrat with a sort of defensively shy smile. "'Silly of me, really. I expect you're used to this sort of thing,' she said. "'Um, yes, uh, oh, yes, all the time,' said Magrat. "'It was just that I expected you to be a bit older. Apparently you were at my christening.' "'Uh, um, yes,' said Magrat. "'Well, uh, you see, the thing is, still, I expect you can look like whatever you want,' said Ella helpfully. "'Ah, oh, yes, um...' Ella looked slightly puzzled for a moment, as if trying to work out why, if Magrat could look like whatever she wanted, she'd chosen to look like Magrat. Well, now, she said, what do we do next? You mentioned tea, said Magrat, buying time. Oh, sure. Ella turned to the fireplace where a blackened kettle hung over what Granny Weatherwax always called an optimist's fire. Two logs and hope. What's your name? she said over her shoulder. "'Magrat,' said Magrat, sitting. "'That's a nice name,' said Ella, politely. "'Of course, you know mine. "'Mind you, I spend so much time cooking over this wretched thing now "'that Mrs Pleasant calls me Embers. <laughs> "'Silly, isn't it?' "'Emberella,' thought Magrat. "'I'm fairy godmothering a girl who sounds like something you put up in the rain.' "'It could use a little work,' she conceded. "'I haven't the heart to tell her off. "'She thinks it sounds jolly,' she said. I think it sounds like something you put up in the rain. Oh, I wouldn't say that, said Magrat. Um, who's Mrs Pleasant? She's the cook at the palace. She comes around to cheer me up when they're out. Ella spun round, holding the blackened kettle like a weapon. I'm not going to that ball, she snapped. I'm not going to marry the prince, do you understand? The words came out like steel ingots. Right. "'Right,' said Magrat, taken aback by their force. "'He looks slimy. He makes my flesh crawl,' said Embers darkly. "'They say he's got funny eyes, and everyone knows what he does at night.' 
Everyone bar one, Magrat thought. No one ever tells me things like that. Aloud, she said, Well, it, it, it shouldn't be too much to arrange. I mean, normally it's, it's marrying princes that's the hard bit. Not for me it isn't, said Embers. It's all been arranged. My other godmother says I've got to do it. She says it's my destiny. Other godmother, said Magrat. Everyone gets two, said Ella, the good one and the bad one. You know that. Which one are you? Magrat's mind raced. Oh, um, oh, the good one, she said, definitely. Funny thing, said Ella. That's just what the other one said, too. Granny Weatherwax sat in her special knees-clenched, elbows-in way that put as little as possible of herself in contact with the outside world. By God, this is good stuff, said Nanny Og, polishing her plate with what Granny could only hope was bread. You ought to try a drop, Esme. Another helping, Mrs. Og? said Mrs. Goggle. Don't mind if I do, Mrs. Goggle. Nanny nudged Granny in the ribs. It's really good, Esme, just like stew. Mrs. Goggle looked at Granny with her head on one side. I think perhaps Mistress Weatherwax isn't worried about the food, she said. I think Mistress Weatherwax is... Worried about the service. A shadow loomed over Nanny Og. A grey hand took her plate away. Granny Weatherwax gave a little cough. I've got nothing against dead people, she said. Some of my best friends are dead. It just don't seem right, though. Dead people walking about. Nanny Og looked up at the figure, even now ladling a third helping of mysterious liquid onto her plate. What do you think about it, Mr Zombie? It's... It's a great life, Mrs. Og, said the zombie. There, see, Esme, he don't mind. Better than being shut up in a stuffy coffin all day, I'll be bound. Granny looked up at the zombie. He was, or technically had been, a tall, handsome man. He still was, only now he looked like someone who had walked through a room full of cobwebs. What's your name, dead man? she said. I am called Saturday. Man Saturday. Eh? said Nanny Og. No, just Saturday, Mrs. Og. Just Saturday. Granny Weatherwax looked into his eyes. They were more sentient than most eyes she had seen that belonged to people who were technically alive. End of CD 5